should wait to come out, that you should uh, try to gain rank or status before you do that. That's a bunch of bull It's a new day in the music industry, and I can reach my fans. We're getting there. I've caused harm to the political agenda, and which I'm actually happy for. I would say probably the best message to them is that they're on the wrong side of history. Whether you're lesbian, gay, bi, transgender, or whatever, Love is love. Shout it out to the world. The Michelle Meow Show. Your A through Z covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between show. And now here's your host, Michelle Meow. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us on this uh, great, great, great Tuesday here in the San Francisco Bay Area. I'm Michelle Meow, your host, and because it's Tuesday... John Zipper of Commonwealth Club is here with us. Hey, Michelle, how are you? I'm doing great. I'm really excited that you're here. Uh, last week, you were not here, so we had the joy of uh, spreading rumors of why you weren't here. Uh-oh. I think one of them was that you ran off to go try out for the next Magic Mike. Um, yeah, lots of sit-ups. <laughs> now, we told the truth that you were ill. Mm-hmm. You feeling better? Yes. Wonderful. Thank you. Well, um, keep the hand sanitizer handy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was walking down San Francisco yesterday, and I wanted to take a picture and upload it and send it to everyone around the world. I can't believe that, you know, San Francisco, the uh, it's like the billionaire city, I'm sure, to a bunch of people around the country, uh, you know, who've, who's heard of how in- incredibly rich it is now. It's so trashy. It's so nasty. <laughs> it is. There are parts of downtown that are just notoriously bad, and there are also the areas that unfortunately tend to be where the tourists go. So this this was in the Castro, in which you know restaurants have been closing down because of vermin issues, and it, it's just yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know. All those developments are going up. There's like you know multi million dollar condos, but yet there's trash. Yeah outside in public. Anyway, um, just to check in with you, what's happening uh, around the uh, the world, or I should say the United States uh, lately involving Republican candidates for president, they cannot stop talking about Planned Parenthood, the Planned Parenthood situation and uh, this leaked video of, of the organization possibly selling organs of fetus. Um, you know, and there's these efforts of, of these Republican candidates trying to defund Planned Parenthood. It's a very hot topic. I, I don't think that we can get into it. It uh, Not in a short amount of time, no, but it is one that's going to be around because even though their attempt to defund it was blocked in the Senate by Democrats, they're going all in on this. So, um, Moving away from the gays and into a woman's womb. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, David Gergen, uh, you know, the CNN political mm-hmm. analyst was at the Commonwealth Club and he was asked about, you know, the Republicans' chances, the Democrats' chances. He said, basically, the Republicans have to get younger voters, they have to get women, they have to get Latinos. Well, Donald Trump has pretty much ended the outreach to the Latinos. Um, the, I mean, gay marriage, same-sex marriage is, is a non-starter with millennials. And with women, they're going all in against Planned Parenthood, which is something that that women, young and old, Republican, Democrat, you know, uh, so many folks have used of one in one time or another right. as a resource. So he's just like, you know, that you, you can't 
help some folks who don't want to uh, do the outreach they, they could do, or right. at least when they could help themselves by at least not talking. Well, John, uh, you know, he does a great job doing his uh, his own week-to-week political roundtable discussion. And so topics like these and various others, you can tune in Fridays at 4 o'clock Pacific Standard Time right here on the Progressive Voices Network uh, to hear his show. Let's get today's show started. Today's program is brought to you by, this is very interesting, we go from Planned Parenthood to... Pacific Fertility Center. When life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. Last week during uh, Jerusalem Pride, a stabbing occurred. An Orthodox Jewish man was released from prison. I think he was in prison for at least 10 years for committing the exact crime. He wounded a total of six participants, and it was just reported that one of his victims have sadly passed away. Here to discuss the crime and other headlines affecting the LGBTQ community is international editor for The Washington Blade, Michael K. Lavers. Michael, welcome to the program. Hi, Michelle. Good to talk to you again. Yes, we're very happy to have you on. I thoroughly enjoy having you on. Um, you were one of the first writers to break the news in uh, what happened last week in Jer- at uh, Jerusalem Pride. You know, kind of walk us through, since you were the very first to, to break this news, what did you hear first? Yeah, it's really ironic because uh, hours before the attack, I had actually interviewed one of the organizers of this uh, Pride Parade in Jerusalem, and he was really excited about what was going on. There's a lot of attention that's often devoted towards Tel Aviv. It's a much larger city, much more cosmopolitan, but uh, they've been doing this march in Jerusalem for a number of years, and he was really, really optimistic and hopeful and really looking forward to uh, what they thought was going to be a celebratory day, and certainly that changed very quickly. Um as you mentioned in your introduction, this ultra-Orthodox uh, ultra Jewish man who had been released from prison a few weeks prior, he actually attacked um, a Pride March in Jerusalem back in 2005. He... Uh, ran through the crowd in Jerusalem that was going through a secular part of the city, and he stabbed uh, six people in the back with a butcher's knife. And then, unfortunately, as you said, uh, the 16-year-old teenager who was the most critically injured, she unfortunately passed away in a Jerusalem hospital just this past Sunday. So it went from what could have been a very celebratory, very happy moment for these folks to just sheer terror and just really horrendous scene in Jerusalem. And I think the thing that's so interesting is that um, this particular incident has really sparked outrage, not only in Jerusalem, but across the country. You've seen very strong statements from the Prime Minister, Benjamin Netanyahu, the President of Israel, the Mayor of Jerusalem, even the U.S. Um, State Department has expressed its condolences uh, to Shira's uh, family members and their solidarity with the LGBT rights advocates in Jerusalem. So it's really galvanized um, public outrage, not only across Israel, but here within the Jewish community in the United States as well. You mentioned uh, Netanyahu, the prime minister, you know, giving his both his condemning it and giving his condolences. And I thought the language he used was language we would not have heard from, frankly, George W. Bush as president. Um, I mean, is it fair to say, except for perhaps, you know, in the ultra-religious communities there, gay rights are pretty well re- accepted. I mean, that was really across the board, wasn't it, in sport? Yeah, I mean, there's still pockets in Israel that are very reluctant to um, support LGBT rights. You have very conservative pockets of Jewish society who will, who are 
outwardly hostile towards LGBT rights, but to see such a strong statement from Benjamin Netanyahu, who is not not seen as a vocal supporter of LGBT rights, really resonated with a lot of folks. So I'm not sure if it's a turning point necessarily, but it certainly captured the uh, widespread outrage that this incident has sparked, not only across Israel, but um, here in the Jewish community in the United States as well. Is this seen as kind of a, oh, you know, I mean, this was the same person who had done it 10 years ago. Is this seen as, okay, one perhaps deranged person or one fanatical person? Or is it seen as there is a threat from these folks, you know, these small pockets who are so extreme in in their opposition? You know, is there greater fear in in the gay community there? Yeah, I mean, my first thought when I heard that this person who allegedly stabbed the six people in Jerusalem, he's been charged um, in this case, I, I frankly couldn't believe that it was the same person who had just been released from prison a few weeks prior to, um, you know, being serving his 10-year sentence in the 2005 stabbing. And I think a lot of people really are continuing to struggle with that. My first sense is that this person is um, what folks are deeming to be a fanatic. I've seen the word terrorist. Um, attached to his name. The State Department has declined to describe this as an act of terrorism, uh, as well as some of the organizers of the uh, Pride March as well. But certainly you've seen a lot of folks describing this person as the fanatic extremist. And um, I think even Netanyahu's statement has um, highlighted that as well. Michael, do we know anything about his uh, mental state or mental health? I do know that he... Um, he repeatedly uh, made outbursts during his first court appearance in Jerusalem the day after the uh, attack happened. In terms of his mental state, I haven't seen anything specific to that. But my gut tells me that there's something in terms of his thought process that just isn't exactly um, 100% there. So I think that's, that remains to be seen. But, you know, anybody who observes what happened in Jerusalem last week and observes what this man's conduct has been passed, clearly something is not right there. That, but in terms of his mental status, that, 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 that remains to be seen. In, in The Blade, you quote, uh, I hope I pronounce his name correctly, Stuart Stotsky is the president of a Washington LGBT synagogue, mm-hmm. and he says that uh, mm-hmm. this demonstrates the danger of fanatics in all religions, including Judaism, whose reactionary ideology of hate and fear must not be allowed to undermine continuing efforts towards social progress based on fundamental moral values of respect for our common humanity. Um, are, are other religious groups, not just Jew- Jewish groups, but other religious groups using this as a time to, you know, talk about, you know, reaching out and, and, and healing, or is it perhaps exacerbating some uh, relationships with folks? I, I, I think the use of the word fanatic um, in this first case really captures this sense of outrage and the sense of shock and you know, quite frankly, horror that um, folks have been expressing regarding this incident. Uh, I know fanatic for some people is a loaded word, um, but I think it really just captures, I think, the first uh, reaction that folks wanted to express is just their absolute horror mm-hmm. in what happened in Jerusalem last week. And in this person's case, fanatic certainly came to mind. He also used the word homophobic uh, hate crime, and I believe he also used the word uh, terror. I don't have it specifically in front of me, but I'm pretty sure he used those two as well. So, um, yeah, I think it just captures um, congregate, the synagogue and the congregations just collective outrage and sorrow about what could have been 
a celebratory event and to see what had what happened last Thursday had turned in from turned from that into this horrible attack that um, that we saw take place in the heart of Jerusalem. So I think it just really captures the you know emotion that people are continuing to express. Michael, thanks for filling us in on this particular situation. Uh, you know, our hearts and prayers are with those who are affected by the stabbings and, of course, their families um, and, and to the young girl who passed away. we got to take a quick break right now, but when we come back, I'd love to continue our discussion and talk about some other headlines or issues that affect the LGBTQ community. Stay with us. Sure. Thank you. The Michelle Miao Show continues right after this. Thanks for listening to the Progressive Voices Network, streaming the best in progressive talk 24-7. Keep the progressive conversation going on on Facebook. Like us at facebook.com forward slash progressive voices. On the Progressive Voices Facebook page, we update the stories that our hosts like Tom Hartman, Stephanie Miller, Bill Press, and Leslie Marshall will be talking about during their shows. And we share great news, commentaries, opinion pieces, and videos from all over the progressive world. Always progressive, always on. Be part of the progressive conversation. Like us at facebook.com forward slash progressive voices. This is a true story about two best friends who fell in love and moved across the country to the city by the bay. After many years of dating, Jen and Jacqueline are now planning their dream wedding. It's a big moment in everyone's life when you say I do, especially when you can make choices for your authentic life and your loved ones too. Congratulations, Jen and Jacqueline. Live your authentic life. A special message brought to you by Weatherford BMW. Babe, I think we're ready. We're really doing this. Yeah. I'm ready for our family. So where do we start? (laughs) Starting a family is a team effort, and when life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side as a unified team of the best fertility specialists guided by the highest ethical standards Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back. Thanks so much for joining us here on this incredible Tuesday. I'm Michelle Meow, your host. Of course, John Zipper of Commonwealth Club is with us. That's right. On the phone is international editor for the Washington Blade, Michael K. Lavers. We're continuing our discussion about uh, headlines or, or issues that affect the LGBTQ community. Uh, Michael, let's turn our attention to President Obama. Um, he recently, during his speech to the African Union in the Ethiopian capital of Addis Ababa, made some references to LGBTQ rights, right? Yeah, he made a um, what one could describe as a glancing reference to LGBT rights. This was his speech to the African Union last Monday. Uh, this came two days after he uh, very pointedly criticized his LGBT rights record during a press conference with the country's president, and that really uh, raised a lot of eyebrows. He had been warned prior to his trip to Africa not to raise these issues. There was even talk of uh, 5,000 men uh, protest naked in Nairobi against Obama if he were to uh, raise LGBT 
writes, that protest was canceled, I, you know, I think to the relief of the White House and everyone involved. <laughs> um, but during this press conference, certainly raised LGBT rights in a very pointed way as the president of Kenya was standing right next to him. And then the day afterwards, he met with a number of Kenyan civil society members, including uh, LGBT rights advocates as well. So uh, these advocates certainly celebrated the fact Obama publicly raised these issues well in Africa, which, as I'm sure you know, has a pretty uh, abysmal LGBT rights record in many cases. Certainly the headlines that we were getting back here in the West uh, about that trip were largely focused on, you know, his being forth, uh, mm-hmm. you know, forefront, taking, putting gay rights there in the forefront. Is that how it was? I mean, was that the major story in Africa or was it more, you know, he, he visited with his, his extended family and things like that? I mean, what, what got the coverage there? Do we know? Yeah, I mean, I, I think in I think in Kenya certainly, since Obama's father is from Kenya, his family ties certainly received a lot of attention in Yemeni. But also the fact that he did raise LGBT rights uh, certainly made headlines in Kenya, um, and a lot of politicians and religious people were not happy about that. But again, as you said, that certainly was one of the takeaways of his trip to Kenya and Africa was that he did publicly raise these issues. I was watching the speech live on television here in the United States when um, he did make the references, and within seconds he just saw headlines from all the reporters who were there saying he did mention LGBT rights and it just went from there. So certainly one of the main takeaways from his trip is that he did take note of LGBT rights on the continent and did send the signal that uh, the U.S. will continue to speak out on these issues abroad. And and there certainly continue to be stories in Africa. You've been covering the, the story about uh, in the Gambia uh, about three mm-hmm. men recently released. Uh, t- tell our listeners what, what happened there and, and what's the latest. Right. Um, last November, there were some, these three men had been arrested on um, under Gambia's aggravated homosexuality law, and basically those who were convicted of aggravated homosexuality faced life in prison in Gambia. This law that the president signed into signed last fall is the latest in a long series of anti-LGBT measures and uh, so forth that we've seen come out of Gambia to the point where uh, the Gambian president last year uh, threatened to slit the throats of gay men. <laughs> um, that, that, that's how that's how bad the rhetoric is. So certainly the United States has uh, spoken out against that. Um, there's some talk about uh, whether the U.S. should institute travel uh, travel visa travel bans on Gambian officials who try to come into the United States even freezing assets. The Gambian president owns a $3.5 million mansion just outside of Washington, which really upsets a lot of human rights advocates um, who work on this issue. So um, it's a pretty bad it's a pretty bad situation for LGBT folks in Gambia and just anybody who challenges the uh, country's government. So that said, that's the backdrop upon which this case was unfolding. And these three men were released from a, uh, they were acquitted by a Gambian court and subsequently released from uh, prison. But reports that I've seen indicate that they were abused and mistreated while in custody. And that seems to be quite uh, typical for folks who were held in detention in Gambia. So it's certainly a welcome step for um, human rights advocates who've been working on this issue. But they certainly realize that um, the situation in Gambia with regards to human rights is quite dire. Whenever there's a, a, a case, whether it's it's like this or whether it's like political prisoners in, in some countries, um, and you know there there's a court case and the person is finally acquitted and there's all this international outrage over it, 
it, it's always tempting to wonder, was it international outrage that did it, or did a judge there actually make a decision according to you know the, their interpretation of the law, or was there internal pressure or anything? Do we have any sense of why they were acquitted, and if it really was just the judges doing, you know, reading the case and, and applying the law as they saw fit, is that a glimmer of hope that that uh, you know there are there are structural elements in that that government um, who are willing and able to at least blunt some of the worst of this? It's really hard to say why this court decided to acquit these three men. Um, there's certainly no rule of law in Gambia as. There is no rule of law in many countries around the world, in Cuba back in May. And Cuba's another example where <laughs> transparency is not always uh, reality in many of these countries. Really, it's really um, certain as to what prompted the court to acquit these three men. Um, the Gambian president repeatedly has rebuked the United States when they criticize, when the country criticizes his human rights record. So I can't, um, my, my first observation is I can't sense that Washington speaking out against his LGBT rights record had much to do with it. Mm -hmm. um, that said, maybe it did, but again, it's such a, you know, there's no rule of law, and it's really hard to get into the mind of the Gambian government to see why they do or don't do something. So it's really hard to tell. I know that human rights advocates that I've spoken with were, you know, obviously very pleased that these three men were released, but they were very quick to acknowledge that uh, there's still a serious problem in that country in terms of human rights and the release of these three men is not is not going to alleviate any of those turns. Sure, sure. Well, let me jump uh, continents here and talk a bit about Eastern Europe and, uh, of course, mm -hmm. Russia. I mean, it, you know, the pride parades there when people are attacked by, you know, by thugs. You know, it, it, for me, it's kind of hard to separate it from the, any suspicion that they're, act, you know, the, they're not fanatics on, on a, from a religious angle. They're you know, somehow connected to either state policy or are directly uh, influenced by, you know, state policy. Um, is anything getting better in any of those, uh, you know, areas? My sense from the advocates that I've spoken with in the recent last in the past uh, few months is that, you know, things aren't getting better. You know, the attention of the world has certainly shifted away largely from Russia, from the former Soviet, you know, the mm -hmm. Sochi Olympics are a distant memory. But, um, you know, you're still seeing crackdowns. You're still seeing uh, people attacked for being LGBT. You're still seeing homophobic rhetoric from um, folks in the Kremlin. I think of the most recent example where the report that came out that uh, the Russian government wanted to ban LGBT emojis um, <laughs> because they were somehow violating the uh, propaganda law. So you still see things like that. Unfortunately, it's not getting as anywhere near the amount of attention as it should now that um, the Sochi Olympics are long past. I will say that uh, Latvia, a couple of months ago, hosted a Euro Pride celebration, and there were attempts by um, nationalist organizations, the nationalist group within Latvia, to block that event, but at the end of the day, it happened, and U.S. envoy Randeri, who is the uh, special envoy to promote LGBT rights overseas through the State Department, was there. There were a number of uh, European officials there, and from what I could see, the event went off without a hit. So there are some pockets of hope among advocates in that part of Europe and Russia, but human rights abuses against the LGBT community are still continuing to take place um, pretty much as they were you know, before the Olympics happened, and they're just getting as much attention as um, they did before Sochi. 
Michael, I'd love to turn our attention to marriage equality. The United States and Ireland both, you know, have had uh, great news regarding marriage equality. But from a worldly perspective, uh, what's going on with marriage equality in some countries that we we might not know of? I I think the two countries that come to mind immediately after the uh, Supreme Court ruling, Australia and Colombia. In Australia, there's going to be a same-sex marriage bill introduced in Parliament next month, and um, the advocates in Australia are really working hard to galvanize support among the lawmakers who are undecided on the issue. Uh, They're trying to pressure uh, the ruling party's Parliament to allow what they call a conscience vote in the sense that uh, members of the party who, the parties that are in charge of the Parliament, the ruling majority, they don't explicitly support same-sex marriage, but this conscience vote would allow their members to um, to vote and support marriage without uh, having any sort of repercussions against them. So that's one country to really look at in the next few weeks and months. And then in Colombia, <clears throat> uh, there was a public hearing last week with the uh, country's constitutional court, which they're equivalent to our U.S. Supreme Court, where uh, advocates and opponents of same-sex marriage uh, testified for against the issue, and it's really been an ongoing issue in Colombia. There was a uh, the court uh, back in 2011 issued a ruling that said lawmakers had within two years to extend uh, marriage rights to same-sex couples, uh, or they would automatically have the right to do so. That time passed. The lawmakers didn't um, act on it, and there's really been some confusion as to whether same-sex couples have been able to get married in Colombia. So um, that process continues to move forward. Um, And then looking towards Mexico, uh, there's certainly um, um, there's efforts to secure marriage rights for same-sex couples across the country. A number of states do now allow same-sex couples to marry. Um, It's a little bit more of a complicated legal process than in Colombia and then in Australia. Um, These cases have to work their way through the uh, Supreme Court in Mexico, and that process is continuing. But you're seeing more and more uh, states start decide that same-sex couples can marry. So I would say Mexico, Colombia, and Australia are the three countries to really keep an eye on in terms of same-sex marriage in the next month. Michael, one maybe one last question before we let you go, and that is: um, sure. uh, there was a ruling, I believe, in the Europe European Court of Human Rights regarding uh, uh, nations there and same-sex marriage. What happened? Is that is that really kind of uh, is that like a Supreme Court ruling that will mandate it or, or what? Yeah, it's, it's the European Court of Human Rights, and they're based in Strasbourg, France, and it sets up legal precedent across the European Union and the members of the Council of Europe. And so this ruling was out of Italy, out of from a case out of Italy where um, the court ruled that the Italian government has failed same-sex couples because it has not extended basic legal protections to them. And we're not even talking about same-sex marriage. We're talking about basic uh, legal recognition. So this decision, which, as I said, came from a case out of Italy, ruled that um, members of the Council of Europe have an obligation to um, extend extend legal protections to same-sex couples um, to basically recognize them. And that sets a precedent across um, the members of the Council of Europe. So many of these countries have already done so, whether it's same-sex marriage, whether it's civil unions or domestic partnerships or something equivalent to that. Mm-hmm. But um, Italy is certainly, Italy is the last major Western European country that has not done anything to 
legally recognized same-sex couples outside of these patchwork of local ordinances, which um, don't really do much. So that that it's a very significant ruling because it sets a legal precedent across the uh, member states and the Council of Europe, certainly. Michael, we, uh, we're running out of time, which sucks because I love speaking to you. I think you're just this guy who's a sponge, wealth of knowledge. I love what you do. Um, any, any, uh, my last question for you is uh, anything that you're working on right now that you haven't published yet? <laughs> <laughs> Stay tuned, as I always say. Um, I have a few thoughts in mind, and um, I certainly will be making those public as we move forward. But, um, yeah, just, I guess, the main charge with my new role is, you know, we try to, you know, share people's stories across the world and uh, really try to hold uh, U.S. government officials and governments accountable for, you know, what they're doing on behalf of LGBT rights or, in many cases, what they're doing to harm LGBT rights. So, um, yeah, certainly uh, stay tuned and read WashingtonBlade.com and you'll see more of our reporting. You got it. Uh, we're definitely huge fans. Michael, thanks, thank you so much for joining us here today. Thanks again. The Michelle Miao Show continues right after this. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Progressive Voices channel on TuneIn. Please help us grow. Tell your friends to tune in to Progressive Voices. Find out more at ProgressiveVoices.com. I'm Heclina. I've been doing drag here in San Francisco for almost 20 years, and uh, over the past couple of months, I just opened up my club, Oasis. It's been going really well. People really seem to appreciate the space. It's something people say San Francisco really needs right now, because the city has been changing a lot. I always had this attitude of, of opening a space that was kind of like for everybody, and that's just kind of the attitude and the, the, uh, the ethics of Oasis, is it's kind of a space for everybody. How does it feel to be a business owner? I don't know, you know, it's funny because I still need, I still have to kind of pinch myself to believe it's actually true, you know what I mean? Like I walk in there and, and I go up to the bar and I go, oh, can I please have a glass of water? You know, it's kind of like, I forget that it's my place. Running gay clubs, it's changed a lot. Um, I think that gay people now, they're everywhere. They don't feel like they have to maybe be in a gay bar all the time. So you have to be much more creative about how you are enticing people to come out to your club. I, I guess I'm successful because I'll just say it, I work really hard at what I do. I also like to provide a really quality experience for people. So yes, you know, people will pay to see my shows and pay to come to my club, but I always like, like to give them something that's worth it. The experience that they'll, they'll leave my shows going, okay, that was worth it, you know what I mean? This has always been my attitude. Um, just to entertain people, and so it seems like that works, you know. I would say to young kids, you know, just kind of form your own identity. And, uh, and you know, don't let others dictate how you should behave or think. Uh, you can always go to uh, sfoasis.com to find out about all the entertainment and nightlife that we have going on at Oasis. If you want to see drag, we've got that for you. If you want to see some queer hip-hop parties or queer dance parties, we have that for you. Spotlight on success and achievement. Brought to you by Wells Fargo. Together, we'll go far. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back. Thanks so much for joining us here on this Tuesday, August 4th. I can't believe it's already August, yeah. which means we're over the six-month mark halfway through the year. And uh, they're already selling Christmas products, right, John? What? <laughs> 
<laughs> no, not exactly, but I know that uh, Halloween stuff is already out there. Oh, that's crazy. For sure. Costco did put out some Halloween stuff. <laughs> um, all right. Over the weekend, uh, there's been a lot of noise in the MMA boxing world, especially uh, female MMA boxing world. Ronda Rousey, who is an undefeated championship. Uh, the I, I, You know, I don't know how they allocate it, but it's by weight, you know, so in her bantamweight class, she's undefeated and she just defeated another opponent. So she is now continues to be (laughs) even more, even more undefeated, undefeated, undefeated. Um, (laughs) But on my Facebook feed, I noticed that, you know, there's a lot of fans, especially uh, lesbian, gay fans um, who are absolutely supportive of women and in the MMA world, um, were posting about Ronda Rousey and, and being, you know, these huge fans of hers. Well, I did want to put it out there that Ronda actually has publicly declined to fight Fallon Fox, who is the first transgender MMA fighter. We had the chance to speak with Fallon Fox a while ago, so I think that we should replay the interview, and then John and I will come back and recap you know, our, our thoughts about this and uh, kind of where your your support should lie as an L or G fan of some of these, you know, some of these incredible sports people. <laughs> I'm not a sports person at all. But anyway, let's take a listen to the Fallon Fox interview. Our guest today is the first openly transgender mixed martial artist. And, uh, you know, most people will know the sport is MMA. Her record as of today, uh, you know, and don't, I'm, I'm not a professional reporter on wrestling and the MMA and UFC world, but it's 5-1. So in my opinion, that is really badass, which makes her a talented professional martial artist you never want to mess with. Her coming out in the MMA world, though, sparked controversy. And to me, you know, it brought out the ugliest of the sport, the ugliest people, that is, like people like Joe Rogan. And despite the controversy, though, Fallon Fox continues to display true sportsmanship, in my opinion, and and also the will to continue doing what she does best. Whoop ass. So let's welcome Fallon, the Queen of Swords, Fox, to the show. Fallon, welcome. Hey, Michelle. (laughs) Yes. I'm so excited to speak with you. I mean, I've been waiting a really, really long time. But before we talk about you, Queen of Swords, how did I miss that? Is that a is that a name given to you? Uh, you know, because well, it's just just uh, just spear them and then they're out of the ring. <laughs> <laughs> well, my my original fight name was given to me by um by my peers uh, and then my teammates uh, at my gym. It was Polonia. But I kind of didn't like that. <laughs> yeah. Not a felon, by any means. So I changed it myself, actually. Um, the name comes from it's a tarot card. And I'm not really into tarot cards. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's different. But, yeah, but the description of the tarot card was it was like a strong, powerful woman who's um, intelligent and, and uh, assertive. And I like the description of it. And so I, I made it my fighting. I think it's perfect, and the description of that tarot card is so you. I was just going to say, I mean, just because you can, you know, physically uh, whoop ass and you're a great MMA artist or a mixed martial artist, um, you know, you, 
your views and things that you post on your public Facebook page and your responses to some of the bigotry out there, you're so intelligent. I love it. Everything you say to me makes sense. So, you know, I can't believe we're speaking for the first time. I mean, you came out over a year ago. Know, right? Yeah, uh, you know, with yeah. the, you spoke to Outsports Sid, Sid Ziegler, and the media went crazy. I think men went crazy more like it. But how has life been, uh, or how's life today after coming out as the first openly transgender MMA fighter? Life has been uh, pretty good. I've had, how many, how many fights has it been since I've come out? No, I've, I've had five. It's been five since I've come out, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I've, I've had five fights. Or four fights, yeah, I got with after that one. And, you know, I've been uh, able to do a lot of speaking engagements and, you know, talk about transgender issues and, you know, write some things here and there for, like, Time Magazine. And, you know, it's, it's, been, it's been a blast, actually. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The positive side of things, yeah. Yeah, Dennis and I were talking about national issues, and I was just like, you know, Fallon Fox is, you know, not just a national issue, an international uh, spokesperson for transgender rights, and and I'm really happy to have a hero in the ring, someone that we can look up to, um, you know, in this world. So I want to talk about, and I'm just going to jump into it really quick, um, Rhonda Rousey, or, or Rousey. What is it, Rhonda? Rousey? Yeah, Rousey. I want to talk about her for a quick minute and this whole stupid idea of bone density. So Rhonda is is UFC's bantamweight champion, and she refused to fight you and still uh, continues to refuse to fight you and blames bone density as a reason for it. Um, Explain to me how bone density (laughs) is a good... You know, logically speaking, I mean, it doesn't even make sense. Yeah, it it doesn't make any sense because, you know... um, I don't know where they pulled that from. Um, likely out of their... Can I, can I swear on here? Likely out of their ass. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, uh, you know, uh, well, I think what they failed to realize and what they what they didn't look into is um, uh, how, how bone density affects people uh, uh, throughout ethnicity. So, um, let's see here. Like, a black woman has um, more dense bones than your average white man does and mm-hmm. Asians are the least of the ethnic of ethnic I can't even say that word ethnicities mm-hmm. um, yeah. are the least of them right so I don't know it, it, it's just ridiculous and I, I, I don't know they just pulled that out of, out of out of their butt and and put it out there and some people believed it I mean, but then again I'm not sure so sure if people actually believed it or if they just used it um out of out of out of hate or something I don't know it, it's really odd it's very, very odd that they, that they would even say that. Right. Yeah. It makes no sense to me at all. And I mean, again, the last time I took a biology class was like seventh grade. Um, <laughs> but, you know, the medical and athletic associations have cleared you to fight. And just like the law, you know, people should just obey the rules and stop the ignorance. It's that easy to, to accept. I mean, do you just get tired of having to justify yourself? Yeah, it's kind of uh, exhausting to have to keep repeating it over and over and over and over again. But I guess that's just something that has to be done. We have to to put that information out there and um, on the highest platforms as possible to get past people's biases, I guess. Exactly. So the California State Athletic Association uh, back last year, actually, just a year ago, uh, I guess supposedly better defined, you know, transgender fighters. Um, do you think that, you know, they did a good job uh, better defining transgender fighters? Do you think that, you know, that's enough to combat hate in the ring? You mean better defined as far as 
putting instituting rules for transgender fighters? Yeah, like, yeah. I guess yeah. you know there there was uh, it, they hadn't. I guess they didn't do it before, and so now when I'm uh, reading it, you know, it's like there's general provisions uh, as far as yeah. transgender athletes go. What do you think? I think um, the American Boxing Association was actually had actually was actually looking into instituting transgender policies and sports before I even came out. This was in 2011, I believe they were trying to um, uh, put that in the books. I believe they were talking about it. And I think in 2012 is when the national body uh, made provisions for us. But that doesn't go state by state. And California Mm -hmm. um, was kind of late on it. (laughs) Um, Florida was kind of late on it, you know, and, you know, and, and when I popped on the scene, they were kind of forced to, to, to look into it. So, But I think it's wonderful. I think it's, it's awesome that, at least for transgender women, um, they have a, 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 some sort of policies in place or rules, and at least they're allowing uh, me to fight. So the door is open, which is good. Yeah. It should have happened a long time ago, but... Yeah. And, and again, like, you know, like I said, it's it's just like the law when it's written up in a code or it's, it's a, you know, you've got um, athletic directors and medical professionals who are are basically refuting such ignorance like Ronda Rousey's comment of bone density or, or other fighters who say, you know, such hurtful and incredibly ignorant things like you're not a woman. And, and it's like, now yeah. we have to define ourselves like what makes a woman, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm not a woman. I think the oddest thing, and I think that they're very confused, is sometimes they say she is mm-hmm. a man, which is the oddest <laughs> thing I've ever heard in my life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So not only not only do people, you know, need to go back to take biology classes, health classes, but now I guess grammar school in, <laughs> in general and figure it all out. Yeah, um right. So, you know, Fallon, I mean, again, like, I, I, I'll be the first to say that, you know, I've been to one UFC fight my entire life, and I was uh, pretty much trying to score a date rather than focusing on the fight. Um, Which fight was it? <laughs> I mean, it was, it, I don't, don't see, no, no, I don't know. I don't remember. <laughs> um, but you, you know, have, mm-hmm. have, uh, have made me such a fan in a way where, I mean, the you know, when I watched the clip of you taking down Tamika Brent's, uh, I think yeah. that she lasted maybe uh, two minutes in the ring, maybe? Is that right? Yeah, it, was two minutes of, it was two minutes and some seconds. I don't remember the exact. <laughs> well, I'm happy that so you gave fast. her some seconds. Um, <laughs> <laughs> on top of that, I, 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 first of all, congratulations. And, and I, I'm, I'm going to you know, put our listeners on a cliffhanger right now because when we come back, we're going to discuss that fight. And, you know, and, and Tamika Brents, after losing, went on to social media to say some, some hurtful things. So, Fallon, you'll stick around? Sure. All right. When we come back, more with Fallon Fox and uh, her amazing, amazing fight that we just, we just need to talk about it. So don't go away. The Michelle Miao Show. We'll be right back.
Thanks for listening to the Progressive Voices Network, streaming the best in progressive talk 24-7. Keep the progressive conversation going on by joining our community. Each week, we send out an email that covers important things taking place in the Progressive Voices Network and throughout the progressive world. Be the first to know of upcoming shows, schedule changes, exclusive programming, and more. Simply go to ProgressiveVoices.com and sign up for our mailing list. It's that easy. ProgressiveVoices.com. Thanks for listening, and thanks for joining the Progressive Voices community. This is a true story about two best friends who fell in love and moved across the country to the city by the bay. After many years of dating, Jen and Jacqueline are now planning their dream wedding. It's a big moment in everyone's life when you say I do, especially when you can make choices for your authentic life and your loved ones too. Congratulations, Jen and Jacqueline. Live your authentic life. A special message brought to you by Weatherford BMW. Babe, I think we're ready. We're really doing this. Yeah, I'm ready for our family. So where do we start? (laughs) Starting a family is a team effort, and when life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side as a unified team of the best fertility specialists guided by the highest ethical standards Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back. Thanks for joining us here on the Progressive Voices Network. I'm Michelle Miao. Our guest today is Fallon Fox. She's the first openly transgender mixed martial artist. Uh, Fallon, before we went on the break, uh, you know, I brought up the fight between you and Tamika Brents, one of your most recent fights. And uh, again, we said, you know, she might have lasted over a little over two minutes in the ring. And this is someone who is talking a lot of smack. But even after she lost, she continued to talk smack by saying that, you know, the, this, your, your punches or the strength that she felt was, uh, you know, it was not, it was not quote unquote normal or, you know, didn't feel like, you know, most of the punches she gets from other women. How did you respond to that? Those, you know, the very ignorant comments. Oh, wow. Um, let's see. Before the fight, she said that she was going to uh, remove me out of uh, women's mixed martial arts because I clearly didn't belong <laughs> there because I was like a sideshow or whatever, as she said. And, you know, I kind of shut that down by, by beating her up. Um, <laughs> and then after that... <laughs> yeah! <laughs> what was fun, I'll admit, it was like, you know... I'll admit it, it was not in my face. But, um, <laughs> let's see. Yeah. After the, after, after the fight, she, she said, uh, that I was very, very strong and that was the reason why I won. There's, there's a movement that's called the clinch. When you take your hands and put them behind someone's head, right? And you lock your arm. Mm-hmm. And you kind of bring them in and like put your back, put your back and your butt out a little bit. And then you're, you're able to kick. That's how I won my first fight. Um, uh, the first fight that everyone knows about, that my, I'm sorry, my, where, where I got my first knockout versus uh, Erica Newsom. I did the same thing to her. Um, there's there's a way to escape the clinch. You you can roll your shoulder in and, and put one arm through, uh, or you can put your hips in, and you can do a lot of different things. Not one of those things did she try at all. She just kind of stood there and just got kicked in the face. So <laughs> it was a matter of her. <laughs> so pretty much, 
it problem sounds technique. like yeah exactly exactly it sounds like you know she just wasn't uh, a very good fighter and you're the better fighter you're the right. better artist right right exactly <laughs> exactly but you know that's that's hard that's hard to put into a sound light or whatever you know so i don't know i think she's like trying to she was trying to like play off of that but it's just you know something that that she i think that she felt that she had to do because she lost exactly and, you know Right. You know. Well, but you that's, know. That's common, you know. Poor Tamika, and we wish her luck in the future. Okay, so... I know. Go ahead. You spoke of strength, and, you know, Tamika's right in that you do have an incredible strength. It's it's not in your punches, and it's not in your kicks, but it's you. It's in your heart. And um, I love right. the okay. kind of strength that you have because, I, I mean, I don't know how I would be able to stand up to people like Joe Rogan, who's extremely popular in the whole <laughs> UFC world, um, and, you know, who at the very beginning when you came out, I mean, said some really, really hurtful things in which, if he, you know, if I had kids and that was my dad, I would be like, I can't believe that came out of your mouth. Uh, you know, yeah. this is the kind of guy who said, um, you said that you were a man and you should be fighting men. And I mean, he says even more vulgar things like, you know, targeting uh, uh, geno- genitalia and all that stuff. And it's just, I, I don't even want to say it on the air because it's so stupid. Uh, but how do you continue to have the strength to, to, you know, to deal with people like the Joe Rogans in the world? I think I just think about every transgender person um, that I've met, that I know about. I think about my past history and everything that I've gone through, and I just want to keep pushing forward to try and, uh, I guess, put transgender people on the map, you know? And that's the way I combat it, you know? I could, you know, I suppose I could go and, and say horrible things back, you know? Right, but you did I could, like, try and do something violent or something, but, you know, no, 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 I... You know, that's not the way to, to accomplish things. No, yeah. And I think that you do it very well, again, by speaking so intelligently about yeah, you know, transgender people's lives. Um, I, I, you know, I, I will have to say, I mean, someone like the, uh, the people like the, the, the Joe Rogans out there in the world will continue to use stupid things like bone density um, against you. You're currently a free agent, you know, hoping to land. Uh, any of the top MMA promotions um, like UFC. I mean, these guys, to me, would be stupid not to pick you up. Um, but, yeah, I'm thinking you're not going to let them shut you out. No, 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 no. I don't think so. I'm going to be around for a while, and I'm going to keep continuing to fight, um, keep looking for that next opportunity. I'm going to be around for a while. So. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, so, I, I, you know, I, we could talk about these, uh, the ignorant people of, in, in the MMA world all day long, but it, it's just, I don't think that it's necessary because, again, like you're doing what you do out there and you're continuing to put transgender people's lives out there. I want to talk about, you know, the good stuff, like how you the also, the other yeah, good stuff. Um, you posted a photo of yourself and a couple other athletic uh, transgender um, women and and talk about you know beauty. I I do want to say that you look, you're just a hundred times more beautiful than some of the other fighters that I've seen in the uh, MMA uh, world. How do you keep up with you know looking so so great, so beautiful? So uh, well, I mean, it, it, I guess that all depends on <laughs> your aspect or how you how you look at beauty. You know, but well, thank you very much. I I enjoy the compliment, but yeah, as far as my body goes, and as far as um, I don't know the the the, the way that I look, as far as that goes, I I train a lot. I do a lot of training. I I mean, I do at least I don't know two or three hours a day of training when I'm not 
Um, when I don't have a fight lined up and when I do have a fight lined up, I'm doing at least, oh my God, at least four hours of trading a day. Wow. You know, four or five. I fight four, four days a week and then on the weekend, I'll get a couple hours in, so... What about it's your... a lot of training. It's not, yeah. it's not easy. <laughs> no, no, yeah. I didn't think so, yeah, but I mean... Anyway, yeah. Yeah, no, but I mean, like, for someone like myself, I will never be a, a superhero like you in the ring. Uh, just <laughs> wondering how much work it actually takes. But what about, like, your, you know, diet? Um, my diet, oh my gosh, yeah. I tend to cut down carbs a lot. Um, that's what sucks all that fat off. That's why in those photos, like, I look so, so... Well, thin, you know, like my muscle was just, is, is almost attached to my skin. There's like almost no fat in between it. Wow. <laughs> so, you know, I cut out the carbs and I do cardio exercises or fat burning exercises, a lot of treadmill, a lot of elliptical, a lot of uh, biking uh, to cut that fat away. And the muscles, um, as far as, uh, I have a physical trainer, um, mm-hmm. his name is Dan Finnegan, and he puts me through hell <laughs> to get me where I need to be. So, yeah. See, I, I do kickboxing just to, to keep up with my, um, uh, you know, my health. And I can't, I cannot land my hooks. I don't know what I'm really? I'm doing wrong, uh, but something's going on down there where, like, my hips won't move with my, my, my hook, I guess. And, and again, maybe it's a mental thing. I don't know. What, what, what kind of advice would you give a beginner like me? I know this is really beginner. <laughs> Say, say that one more time. Your hips won't. I, I guess you know when you do a hook, you're supposed to throw your hips uh, with it, right? Right. You start with your upper body first, and then everything comes around in like a coiling motion. So it's yeah, it takes practice. It's not it's not an easy thing to do when you first start out. Okay, good. Okay, I was beginning to think that I was just physically challenged. So coming from oh, no 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 a professional fighter, I'm just going to continue. Um, continue practicing. So I, I mentioned the good stuff. I, I did want to get, you know, when you're not training, when you're not fighting and doing all this uh, stuff, you know, to your body, um, you're probably hanging out and having a good time. You've got a very supportive partner, right? Oh, for sure. Yeah. My partner, Amy, is awesome. And what do you guys... I love my baby. Oh, that's so sweet. That's so awesome. <laughs> so, do you, do, I mean, do you ever give yourself a cheat day with Amy? Uh, does she cook you dinner or, you know, do you guys go out? Yeah, we do. We do. Um, we like to go to the movies. We like to go to uh, Dave and Buster's. No way. Yeah, you know what that is? Yeah, yeah. I do know yeah, Dave and like Buster's. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we got Dave yeah. and Buster's out here in California. But uh, you know, do you so do you, do you dip in what they serve there? Because I I think it's all like French fries and uh, pizzas and. No, they have they have some salads there, which is what I normally get. Ah, uh, you're and, so good. Uh, yeah. Sometimes I good. cheat. I get like a diet soda or like a cherry. Cherry oh <laughs> Coke or something, you know. Ah, oh, you're so bad. For me. <laughs> oh my gosh, Fallon Fox is so bad yeah, when she cheats. She I know, has I know, I know. a diet soda. All right, we have one last question for you before we let you go, and thank you so much again for spending the time with us. But um, you know, when, sure. when I brought up UFC and I brought up you as a free agent, I did forget to mention that uh, what I do know is that the UFC has actually been supportive of you in know, a lot of ways in which they have blasted those who were you know created ignorant uh, conversations or, or discussions around you um so do you feel do you feel supported as an mma fighter overall in general uh um i appreciate the fact that um they slam the trio and, and and uh fight him and that they've taken a few steps to 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 
saw a little bit of the hateful rhetoric that was coming out of some of the UFC fighters. I mean, I think it would be really supportive if they were to hire me as a fighter. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That would be the best move. That would be the best support. But, you know, so yeah, that's what I'll say about that. Well, you're not going anywhere, like you said, and uh, we look forward to, you know, the next fight. And I know, you know, the next one uh, coming out, I think that you already have someone in mind that you would like to fight. It was, uh, what was her name, Carla Sanchez or something like that? I've got a lot of people, but I'd like to fight. I'd like to fight Chris Cyborg. I'd like to fight Ronda Rousey. I'd like to fight Charmaine Tweet. She's six foot tall, running scared. I'd love to fight her. There's a lot of them, yeah. <laughs> well, it's so awesome. Thank you again so much for you. I mean, your courage, your strength, and uh, being someone that we can look up to, especially in the MMA world. Thank you. Thank you very much. All right, and that uh, was the incredible interview with Fallon Fox. I mean, I was wow. really excited. Uh, I got the chance to speak with Fallon. Yeah. And, you know, and I think that for me, uh, you know, people in our community need to know these things. I think that it's great that, you know, you follow sports and sports leaders, but when they say bigoted things or, um, you know, I think it's our job to, to be able to process that and not support those types of players until they change their heart and minds. I mean, Ronda Rousey came out and said she wouldn't fight Fallon Fox um, back in 2014. I don't know if her mind has changed. I hadn't heard anything, but... What, what was her reason? Why wouldn't she? Well, she felt that, uh, you know, trans women have an unfair, unfair advantage because they're not biologically, you know, female, uh, even if medical experts disagree. If I, it's my show, I could say whatever I want. <laughs> I just think Ronda Rousey's just a little, uh, I think she's scared. I think she's scared because Fallon is a pretty amazing fighter. Um, you know, thinks that she's afraid of the, the strategy and afraid of losing her undefeated, you know, role. Uh, so to me, it's like, <laughs> I don't know. She gets, She's probably like the... Uh, the, the, the guy who just fought uh, Manny Pacquiao, you know, the, the, the Floyd Mayweather guy it took him so long to fight, you know, Manny Pacquiao because I think that some of it was fear that he mm -hmm. would lose. Yeah. Lose. But when it when the money was right, whether he lost or not, he was still going to make a whole lot of money. So who that's knows? Actually, that's actually a good question. Is she really resisting fighting this person, Fallon Fox, or is she pushing up the, the, you know, the, the anxiety and the pressure and all that kind of stuff to make it a bigger event when it happens. Mm -hmm. so it's a bigger payoff. Yeah. Maybe we should interview Rhonda. Though now, maybe if she hears this interview, she may, <laughs> she may be afraid to talk to me. <laughs> or not afraid. I, I might be afraid <laughs> for myself. <laughs> maybe not an in-studio interview. Right, right. No, 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 not in studio. Um, I was absolutely thrilled to have Michael K. Lavers here with mm -hmm. us from Washington Blade. I think it, he does incredible work. And yeah. obviously, you know, I think that we tend to live in this bubble here in the United States when we talk about, like, equal rights because we've, we've achieved equal rights at, you know, such a fast pace. We fail to uh, to educate ourselves about what's going on in you know the rest of the world, it's pretty scary. Um, I, I think the whole idea of Obama going to Africa and making those comments and and being very upfront about it was kind of a wake up call both to a lot of Americans who again are in mm -hmm. that bubble as well as a lot of folks in Africa who are like, wait a minute, this is the first African American U.S. president, powerful person who is coming here and saying this is important. That the you know the the Hillary Clinton line, gay rights are human rights. Um, that the nice thing about that is I think that has a payoff that happens a long time. People will I think cite that 
as justification for, you know, dealing with discrimination. Yeah. Yeah. So that was a, uh, you know, we had a great show again today. And uh, even though I, I always love to do something refreshing, sometimes it's always appropriate to also run some of these interviews that mm-hmm. don't get all the coverage that we want it to. Um, so Fallon is still out there and she she will have a fight. And I can't wait, you know, to be there. And I definitely will buy my ticket to go see her fight. Um, and that's Fallon Fox, that is. So, you know, as I mentioned earlier, you're with Commonwealth Club. Before we go, sure. uh, any any cool, you know, events coming up or what's coming up in this week's uh, week to week? Um, well, this week's week to week is actually going to be a special with, um, I believe it's the David Gergen program. So actually he'll, lots of good political insight, awesome stuff he talks about uh, with Republicans and such. Um, upcoming speakers at the club, I mean, we've got Senator Claire McCaskill coming up. Nice. Yeah, she's got a new book out called Plenty Ladylike. Oh, <laughs> maybe I should get that book. So she, she's someone you wouldn't want to tangle with in a ring no. either. I think she's probably got a pretty good. Definitely. Book. Well, for all that information, head to commonwealthclub.org. And also all of our, uh, you know, shows that we do with John are posted up at commonwealthclub.org. Uh, and of course, we'll be back tomorrow at four o'clock Pacific Standard Time, the same time. We'll see you tomorrow.